0: I well, you want to turn in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be continuing our beautiful Attitudes of Jesus series today with a message entitled, Hungering for God. So I want to speak to you today about hunger. And I'm not just talking about the hunger that makes your stomach rumble. It looks like some of us are more hungry than others on most days. You know, we talk about growing the church, and I keep thinking about that horizontally, I think. But hunger can involve other things in life, other than just physical hunger, it can involve things that bring you a sense of fulfillment or a sense of happiness. And people hunger for things like that. In the early 90s, I took the Wisconsin EMT basic class. And after I graduated, I joined a basic or volunteer service in Kenosha that I couldn't, but I couldn't afford to go and work full-time as an EMT. Because EMTs at that time barely made minimum wage. So I had to, and I had a family support. So I worked as a volunteer EMT for one of the local squads. We did special events, one of the backups for our county, but I wasn't able to do it full time. And occasionally we would get to interact with paramedics. And I thought paramedics were really, really cool. Sometimes we would have that critical patient or they would need further care than we could provide. So we called them in and the paramedics would come in and sweep in and we used to jokingly call them paragods because that was the the way they acted. They would come in, they'd be all calm. They immediately start taking over and directing care for the patient. They seemed to know exactly what was wrong, exactly what to do. And I remember like, man, I want to be one of these guys. I want to be somebody with that cool paramedic patch on their arm. As a paramedic patch it looks like this. This is the patch that paramedics used to wear in this state. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, that they would have that patch on their arm. So in the mid-90s, I went through a solid year of training. It was known as paramedic school. And for that year, I didn't see Tammy hardly at all. I was working 50 hours a week. And if I wasn't working, I was at school. If I wasn't at working or at school, I was doing clinical or ride time. And I was really dedicated to getting all that done by the time that this uh, class ended. And I had the vision at the end and a hunger to have that license and that patch on my arm with a license number on my shoulder. And I got to the end and I graduated. I took my boards, I got a 98% on them, just about knocked it out of the park. A week later, my paper license came and I looked at it and I said, man, that's, that's cool. It says, you know, John Oscar, EMT paramedic on it, license 53261. I was like, that, that's pretty cool. But it really didn't hit me until Tammy brought me a package that came in the mail that had six of these patches in it. And I pulled out that patch and I saw my license number on the patch that said paramedic. And I remember, man, that is so cool. I am now a paramedic. And I remember I was just so thrilled about getting this patch. I was like almost hugging it to my chest. And I had it, just that sense of fulfillment that for a year I had sacrificed so much and it finally got to what I wanted to do. And a few months later, I took a job as a full-time paramedic and over time, As I worked as a paramedic, that sense of accomplishment started to fade, and I felt like I needed to do something else, so I became an instructor in CPR, and then an instructor in advanced cardiac life support, an instructor of paramedics, and that gave me a sense of fulfillment. That made me an expert in pre-hospital emergency medicine. After that, they made me a field preceptor. I got to train new people and new paramedic students, and I found fulfillment in that for a while. But I still had that nagging feeling in my spirit that more was still there. I needed to do something else so I could kind of chase that high of, of, of fulfilling things. So I became a station manager. And still, that feeling kept persisting. And then I became the ALS manager, which is the boss of all the paramedics. And still, there was something empty there in, in that need of, that I had to accomplish things. And I've seen that several times in my life since I completed Bible school. It took me eight years to do it, but I finally got through it. I went through advanced paramedic training, including critical care paramedic and community paramedic. And I've had several other accomplishments, firefighter, deputy coroner, all kinds of accomplishment in my life. And initially there's always that rush of accomplishment, and then it fades and I was longing for something else again. And I look for something else to do to feed that hunger that was in me for a challenge and then having a victory when I got over that challenge. And what I've learned through this self-examination when I was studying for this particular message is what the Bible speaks to when it says that what we hunger for in life speaks to what is really inside of us. It points to what we really place our sense of value and what we place our sense of trust in. You see, the first three of Beatitudes speak of a person becoming completely empty before God. They cast aside everything in this life for the sake of knowing Jesus. And this fourth beatitude speaks to what we fill that empty vessel with. Note what Jesus is saying here. He didn't give us a list of things that might fill us. He didn't tell us to go build a resume here on earth that will bring us satisfaction. He didn't encourage us to heap to up wealth and possessions, nor did Jesus encourage us to go and get degrees and, and become famous and earn fame in this life. Jesus breaks it down to the one thing We need to find happiness. The one thing we need to find fulfillment and joy as we come into His kingdom and learn His principles for our lives. And that is found in Matthew 5, verse 6, where He said, Blessed, that word blessed means happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Father God, I ask Lord that During this message this morning, that the word of God will become living and active. It will become sharper than a double-edged sword. That it will penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. That it will judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts, Lord. Because, Father, many of us struggle in life because we chase after the wrong things. We trust in the wrong things to bring us happiness. We trust in the wrong things to bring us joy. We chase after the wrong things to find fulfillment. So Lord, teach us your way. Teach us to cast aside all those other things so that we may know what the pursuit of you looks like and how to do it in our own lives. And Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. One of the secrets I found in life of why people do the things they do comes down to this. Every single person here, every single person that has ever lived, pursues what is really important to them. They pursue what's really important to them. When that focus is on God and his kingdom, the beautiful attitudes of Jesus comes out. And our actions are driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and bring eternal fruit in our lives. However, when we focus on self, what comes out of us usually isn't very pleasant, is it? Nor is it productive, nor is it nourishing to anything other than our own pride and ego. So I want to begin this morning by looking at what is false or bad hunger in our lives. Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament stated this, he summed up the whole problem of humanity when he said that, he's speaking for God, when he said that my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If you don't know what a cistern is here, probably everybody here, we're we're rural folks, we know what cisterns are there. He's basically talking about two different water sources, good water and bad water here. And the broken cisterns represent um, um, us living for ourselves. And every blessing and every problem that we have in life comes down to what are you hungry for? It's not just fig- physical food, although some of us struggle with making food our comfort instead of God, but it's about what we long for in this life. I saw this, this um, last week. I work with an avid hunter named Mark. Mark's one of the radiology techs at At the hospital, and he takes the x rays, the CAT scans, EKGs, all those pictures that the doctors need to figure out what's going on. And we were just insanely busy. And Mark was just about running back and forth to the ER to get people in and out because it seemed like everybody needed an x ray, everybody needed a CAT scan, and everybody needed the long CAT scans. And we only have one CAT scanner, so he was just literally, him and his partner were just shuttling people back and forth. And as I was, I had gone to get somebody and push them back to the ER so he can get them into the CAT scanner. And as we passed each other, I, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he goes, I would rather be in a tree stand right now. I said, I agree with you, brother, because this is just insane right now. And we just kept running. Now, hunting by itself is not evil, unless you're a deer. I saw a deer in the woods the other day. He set, held up a sign and said, eat beef. But focusing on hunting to the extreme of it to being even more important than your spiritual life that is bad. I know a pastor who pastors a church about our size. He's up to about 50 people now and he told me that his head usher takes mid-September through most of December off from church. so he could be sitting in his blind or his tree stand on early Sunday mornings. He said, not, he told me nothing he said to this person could convince him that he needs to at least come to church once in a while, at least show himself he's the head usher, he should be setting an example for his team, and nothing he could say would, would convince that man that he needs to be in church sometimes on Sunday morning. You see, this man had dug his own cistern, and he was drinking out of this cistern over here, and it was polluting his entire life, and he was not the only person it affected his kids saw this. And his kids, as soon as they left for college, walked away from the faith. Right. His wife stopped coming to church at all because he never gave it um, any credence in his own life. She said, well, you, you, you have hunting and you take you know three months off from church and you never come to church, so why should I take it seriously? And you saw it before you knew it, his whole family fell away from God. And for that man, his overriding hunger and thirst in life was a passion for hunting. But it might not be hunting in your life. It might be entertainment. Maybe you spend hours and hours and hours online watching Hulu or Netflix or TV. For others, your broken cistern is alcohol or other drugs. For others, it's a relationship that doesn't line up with biblical values. For others, it's food. I can resemble that remark sometimes. For others, it's education, gaining fame and education. Every one of us has broken cisterns in our lives that they continually turn to when times get tough. And it's amazing how we continually turn to these things because no matter how many times you choke on the rancid water in the bad cistern, you just keep coming back and coming back for more, don't we? But all these are symptoms of a greater illness. You see, broken cisterns only have power over us If this condition exists in your life, and that condition is forsaking your first love of Jesus. Jesus told us to first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. Pursue the righteousness that Jesus offers. So what is this righteousness? What does he mean by pursuing righteousness? Well, if you were to define righteousness, righteousness is acting in accordance with divine or moral law so that you are free from guilt or free from sin that produces the guilt. Now, keep this in mind as we do a quick review of something the the theologians called soteriology. Soteriology is the study of salvation doctrine. It's a big word for today. And to do that, we have to go back to the beginning. You see, this mess that we find our world in, that we live in and struggle with every day, it began with a hunger, didn't it? If you think about it, it's what makes this topic so important to us because it was a root problem that started us down this broken trail of sin and death. In Genesis, God gave Adam and Eve everything they could ever want. Everything they could ever need. He even gave them a great law which he said, go and eat all you want. I would love that one. (laughs) And have intimacy with your spouse all the time. Whenever somebody says your God is boring, I said, look at Genesis, what he told us to do. He's not boring at all. God's a lot of fun as long as you do it within his constraints. To paraphrase the biblical account, God was saying, Adam, my son, and Eve, my daughter, You need to stay away from this tree over here because you were not created with the ability to handle the information that that tree represents. To eat from this tree would be like swallowing razor blades. It will eat you up from the inside out until it produces nothing but death in your body. And in this interaction with our first parents, God was saying a very basic truth about our lives. What we hunger for in life determines our future. And not only our future here on earth, but our future in the eternal kingdom. That's why God gave Adam and Eve such a severe warning and penalty about eating from that tree. Because God knew it would plant those razor blades of evil into their hearts. And it would work its way out through their spirits until it killed them and then went and caused harm to others. And as we know, they didn't listen. So God set in, the, in the motion his salvation plan and progressively revealed to us throughout biblical history what his plan, this plan was for us. In Old Testament times, salvation was based purely on performance-based spirituality. And we can be guilty of that sometimes in our day and even within the assembly of God sometimes. Performance-based spirituality is that our perception of how we look to God is how much how much of a spiritual checklist you can check off to make yourself pleasing to God. And we thank God that that's no longer the case for us. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So we give it all to Jesus and Jesus is the r- reason that we have righteousness before God. We thank God for that. But however, for many people in the world, they don't they practice religion instead of relationship in fact most of the world's major relationships follow that performance-based model you know one of the religions that's talked about most in the news right now is islam islam literally means obedience or submission you have to be in obedience to their god called allah and submission to the quran and its laws if you go to judaism what's judaism about you see that in the bible follow the law of moses You see, Hinduism, what do they follow? Karmatic law. How you treat others and how you are in this life affects your reincarnation. You do bad, you come back as a cockroach. You do good, I'm not quite sure what's after humanity, but you're not going to get to nirvana. There's about 50 steps to to get into nirvana. Buddhism is very similar. Follow karma law so you can experience nirvana, which is the ultimate good. It's all performance-based salvation. Christianity, on the other hand, which is the best view that represents reality, teaches us that inside each person is this propensity for great evil. If you doubt that, just take a ride on the ambulance with me, and I'll show you what that looks like. If inside each one of us there's a propensity for great evil because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And since all of us carry this sin nature, we can't save ourselves. And we need help from the outside in order to save us. Because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the soul that sins must die. The Bible is very specific with that. But Jesus came and took that sin nature and he destroyed it by suffering and dying in our place. And taking upon him the guilt and penalty for our sin and rising again to show us the new life that is possible in God. It had to come from outside of us because what is inside is forever tainted by our selfish and sinful nature. Until Jesus gets a hold of us and changes it forever. Jesus illustrates these steps towards salvation in the first three Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, who understand that they need something outside of themselves. They realize that there's nothing good inside them and they cry out to God for his mercy. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, who, who cast down and say, God, I am nothing, nobody. I need you because there is nothing good in me. I am so sorry, Lord. Blessed are the meek, the ones that can humble themselves before Him and empty themselves of everything, even the good things that they think are inside them. They throw it down at the feet of the cross and say, God, just take it. I need you. They empty themselves out that way. Those three Beatitudes can be summarized this way. Blessed are those who have died to themselves, so I can give them life. Blessed are those who cast aside the poison of wanting their own way so that they can live in me. Blessed are those who have knelt at Calvary's cross and said, with nothing, Lord, I bring, and to you I give everything. Blessed are those who for righteousness' sake cast down every sin and every selfish want and all those things in life that so easily entangle us so that my life can be a showcase to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what righteousness is. It's a right standing before a holy God. But is that it? Is that all we need to do? Do we just accept Christ as God and Savior and that's all we need to do? Well, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying no. Righteousness is a lifelong pursuit that forms the image of God within us. It's something we continually do and will continually do until we cross the finish line and run into the arms of Jesus. And that brings us to our last point that righteousness must be pursued. No more is this evident than in one of the, um, a couple of my favorite Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 42. It talks about a heart that longs after God. It says, as steer stream, or excuse me, As deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with my God? Another psalm is from David, from Psalm 63, where he said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You know, King David wrote most of the Psalms. And the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Now I have a question for you, and it's a question that plagued me for years when I first got saved. Because I'm a realist. I'm, a, I'm kind of a pragmatist. I'm, I look at things and I immediately hold up my hand and say, that doesn't make sense at all. Okay, that, because I can I can point out a whole bunch of stuff about that that doesn't make sense. And when the Bible called David a man after God's own heart, my question back to God was, God, how do you call a murderer, a fornicator, an adulterer, a proud, violent and temperamental man and king a man after your own heart? Look at everything this man did wrong in his life and you said your word says he was a man after your own heart. You have better examples in the Bible of in biblical history, of men who are after your own heart? Why don't we just look at Abraham? Why don't we look at Moses, or Job, or Elijah, or any of the prophets? But you call David a man after your own heart. How can that, How does that, that, that reconcile that you are a holy and righteous God, and you call a man that messed up almost everything in his life, and call him a man after your own heart? And a few years ago, God showed me that answer in prayer. And I found it actually in an old prayer journal of mine that God had spoken something to me and I wrote it down. And It was one of those things that you write down and you come back to later and it's like, wow, that makes all the sense in the world. And God told me that for those of us who are part of the family of God, those of us who have become disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, God judges us based on our pursuit, not our performance. Our performance on the bad side has already been taken care of by Jesus Christ. But when you read the biblical narrative, God always judges us based on our pursuit of him. Based on our worship of him. Let that sink in for a minute. You see, David had seasons where he failed miserably in life. In fact, if you were just going to be human about it, you you were to put his successes and his failures on a scale, it would be so tipped so far to the wrong direction, you'd think there was no hope for him. But the Bible said David was a man that was after God's own heart. See, God looked at the same thing that he is looking at in you and me right now. And he asks you this question: where is your pursuit? If it isn't 100% on God, then you need to repent and ask forgiveness and the strength to cast aside those things that are keeping you away from a more intimate fellowship with the God who loves you. Because what you pursue in life shows who you really are as a person. You can say you're this and you can say you're that. But in the end, people and God will remember what you really stood for, but what you ran after in life. Let's all stand. A scripture today said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will, will, it's a positive word, will be satisfied. So what is our satisfaction? Our satisfaction is God himself. When you pursue righteousness, you pursue God himself. I read something during Sunday school that I'm going to read again today. It's a quote by St. Augustine. St. Augustine talking about God said thou hast formed us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find thy rest in thee. You will never find satisfaction in life. You will never find peace. You will never find fulfillment. You will never find joy until your heart, mind, soul, and spirit are focused on the pursuit of God. And He will bring you satisfaction because your God is an endless source you can't possibly exhaust what he has to offer that is why you can trust in God to satisfy your every need and then God will change your heart so even all your wants and all your needs reflect his will for your life so we can build his kingdom here in Trempeleau County